Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I'm your host for the Inclusion Bites podcast. In this series, I'll be interviewing a number of amazing people and simply having a conversation about the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. That's s-double-e-changehappen.co.uk. You can catch up with all of the previous shows on iTunes, Spotify, and the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 25 with the title, Being Visible, Listened to, and Respected. And I have the absolute honor and privilege to be joined by Susan Heaton-Wright. Susan describes herself as someone who empowers individuals and teams to make an impact in business conversations. When I asked Susan to describe her superpower, she said, empathy. She is able to understand emotions, perspectives, and opinions from different viewpoints. Hello, Susan. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And we've been talking about this for a few months now, and I'm glad we finally got together to do this. Yeah, it's great. So who who is Susan? Tell me what you mean by being visible, (laughs) listened to, and respected. What does that look and feel like to you? Do you know, there's a part of me that feels, oh, my goodness, I'm blowing my trumpet. I'm showing off. And that's my sort of introvert state and the type of person that I was brought up to be, somebody that was quiet and in the background and very, very humble. And I am aware through my own life and also with a number of clients that I now work with that sometimes they are underestimated and they're not as visible as they can be. And perhaps they miss out on some great opportunities or are not promoted when they ought to be. Um, for for my perspective, when I was a schoolgirl, I, I shall admit that I was very much underestimated. I tell the story that when I was 16, 17, when everyone was applying to university, my school would not give me an application form for university because they did not feel that it was worth my while. I wasn't bright enough. Yet I had the exam results to prove that, but there was a question mark attached to that. Um, What I happened to do was to find an application form and ask the headmistress to complete the, the application for me, and I ended up at a top university. But I recognize that because of the my demeanor and the way I was and I was quiet, that I was being underestimated. And so there was that question mark that perhaps somebody that was a little bit more confident would that the question mark wouldn't be there for the teachers. Have you found that at all? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking back to my own childhood. And I'm in my mid-50s, and just kind of the culture of the time was very much – I remember my parents saying to me, don't speak unless you're spoken to. Um, If you ask, you don't get. So it's very much a culture of of humbleness. And I would almost say that being humble, being quiet, being thoughtful was was a valued way of being a child in those days. If if you weren't, you were kind of shouted down or or, – punished or, you know, or or told off for being too noisy or being too out there so i think maybe the socialization that we've we, we've we've been brought up with going back generations is having a real impact on us isn't it i think it is and and certainly that idea that if you work hard you will will be rewarded and we know that in corporate culture, that it's not necessarily those people that work very, very hard and get the best results that are rewarded. And this plays into one of my pet subjects of our meritocracy. Yeah. Meritocracy is it, it, often it's the people who are visible, the people who are extrovert, the people who are grabbing that are seen as, as more uh, just, just more capable. But yes, we often we people 
I mean, you know, and I know it from experience that just because you're loud doesn't mean to say you're any better. It just means to say you're loud and just because yeah. you're quiet. You're off, and, you're, and the point you made very valid is we, we don't talk and amplify ourselves enough. People don't see us. Yes. So we've got to be our, we've got to learn to be our, our own advocate sometimes, haven't we? I think so. And, and also we need to demonstrate how well we're doing things. So there, we know that there are some people that they will blow their trumpet if they, I don't know, wipe their nose or something teeny weeny like that. Whereas you and I, with the way that we were brought up, we would probably think, well, you, you know, that that's part of living, isn't it? I don't need to um, n- need to show off about that. But unfortunately, when it comes to de- decision making, it can be those people that are remembered that have made the effort to blow their trumpet and expose their merits. Yeah, and and certainly, I mean, I, I'm a small business owner. I'm a consultant practitioner, similar way you are. So if I don't blow my trumpet, nobody else is going to blow it for me. And, exactly. Um, we, we've had to, we've had to maybe escape our programming yeah. and talk about personal brand, talk about social selling, talk about networking and being being our business and being visible out there. But I I often find that that doesn't always come natural to me, and I. I, I always shy away when people describe me or they, they read out my bio or they've written something about it. And I think, oh, that's a, that's a bit kind of, it's lovely what you're saying, but I'm not sure I'm comfortable being described as a world expert on anything. It's kind of, ooh. and yet there are people out there that rise to that, that, that language and they, oh, yes, I'm a world expert and they declare themselves. And yes. Yeah. I, I get a bit embarrassed almost because. I don't want to be putting myself. Right, yeah, I want. I want to have my personal brand, but I don't necessarily want to put myself right up there on the on the pedestal and say I'm best or anything like this. Do you think that there's something very English about this? We talk about the the tall poppy syndrome that somebody will see somebody growing up and being big, and he cut them down, particularly the media. Yes, I mean for sure we, we see that all the time, and there's. Um, I saw a speaker uh, who's written a book, a lady called Margaret Hefferman, and she she wrote the book uh, and she talked about the super chicken. And that's something, you know, often where women do it to each other, you know, they peck at each other. And, and the super chicken is the big chicken, the bully chicken that pecks at all the other women and all the other chickens and, and puts them down. And I think sometimes we don't like successes, do we? We, we, we want to, and the media does it, but we look at Instagram, we look at telly. Yeah. We're, we're the first to judge, aren't we? Judge, we look at it, oh, I don't like that dress or those shoes, oh, no, that hairstyle. <laughs> and even when we say, oh, you look lovely, what we really mean is, but I wouldn't wear it. <laughs> yes. I mean, you, I don't know if you know that part of my background is that I used to be a singer. And certainly if you would go to other concerts or events, um, there would be a certain culture around obviously not saying nasty things. But you knew if somebody said, well, you know, the flat, the floral decorations in the venue were lovely. You knew that it wasn't very good. Yes, you, you draw attention to the thing that you find most distracting, or or whatever you're thinking about, and then put a positive spin on it, don't you? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love I love your shoes. Mm, really? Yes. <laughs> it, it, it's really interesting about what I call the green eyed monster, and um, us going on to Instagram or Facebook occasionally that you can you're aware of something triggering off, and you're thinking. Why is that not me? Why are they getting that work? And I have consciously thought of when I feel that to just take a deep breath and then say, well done, even if I don't say it to the individual, but it to myself, I say, well done to that person rather than letting it eat me inside, which could be the the normal thing to do. Do you do that? Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's so true. Um, I, I, I like to say thank you to people. I like to make sure that people know that I'm grateful. But in the same way, I want it to be authentic and, and yes. meaningful. So I, I'm not one to go over the top. I'm more one to give a quiet thanks. I really appreciate that rather than, wow, you're amazing yes. and, and huge, huge great trumpet. So, yeah, I, I suppose 
I I tend to praise in the way I like to be praised, meaningful, yes, understated, but very personally, almost like find the one thing that I think they'd be most they'd be most pleased with that I've identified, rather than giving this big sort of kind of flowery, lots of superlatives <laughs> going on. I'd rather say. I love your talk. And when you said this, that really resonated. That that for me is very specific. Then it's a good, great, great direct feedback rather than you are wonderful and amazing and oh, it's awesome. That that means nothing to me. But. but do you think that depends on the person it is? Because somebody that's very you know out there, that sort of acclaim, oh, we were wonderful, might be exactly what fires them up. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I, I, I'm 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 the first one to allow or, or want or, or everyone to be themselves. I wouldn't want to judge anybody or, or put anyone in, a, in their own, a box. If, if that's the way they want to express, that's fine. It, it, I suppose what resonates for me is where it is more precise, more more considered yes, and more thought about. And I'm not, I'm not judging someone who does the, the big flowery art no. stuff <laughs> saying they haven't thought about it. But I, I often think that is kind of just this, this big sort of like big lovey, huggy, kissy <laughs> type type thing yeah. rather than it being a rather than it being as sincere. But that that's just the way I like yeah. feedback. And they may well be being sincere and that's how they do it. So I would never I would never shy away from it. I would just say, Oh, thank you. you oh, you're no. wonderful. Thank you for saying yes. that. Yes. But I, I'm not I mean, in the same way, I'm not I'm not a great fan of award ceremonies. And no. I've, been, I, I've been nominated for a few awards, and I, I'm a bit cynical because often the, the award ceremony are about selling tickets to the award event. I know, uh, or promoting awesome. someone's brand, yes. and they want everyone. They want to nominate the entire world, so the entire world talks about it for six months while they're being nominated. Then they talk about the shortlist. So I'm very cynical about it, and I, I have got nominated for a few. And I did partake in kind of the early publicity, and, I, and then I, I wrote to the award giver and said, "Look." I really appreciate the nomination, but I'd like to withdraw. It's not me. I don't want to be. It's, I, I fully respect for those in the suits, but I'd rather be understated and under the radar. I do my personal brand in other ways. And it was almost like I got this email back going, oh, that's a surprise. Um, okay, if you say so. No one's ever done that before. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't need a medal. Um, but I, I do. I, I, yeah, I, I amplify them. Um, shine my light in different ways yeah ways i feel more comfortable with do you know one one of the things that i pledge to do there are a few things i pledge to do to lift other people up and to support other people and that is to nominate three women for business awards every year um yes and i've done my three this year one of them wasn't successful i'm still waiting for the other to to see if they're shortlisted but um certainly that that brings real joy to other people and um it just it is i feel a way that i feel comfortable about um supporting other people and putting the spotlight on them yeah i think a lot of it's down to my own personal bias yeah about not valuing that that myself in that way yeah or the embarrassment or the uncomfortableness of of, of being recognized for that and me, me thinking well hang on a minute i know i've done some good stuff but surely there are better people yeah my yes. syndrome will kick in and thinking well how can i be business startup of the year in portsmouth it's just it's like what you're saying is I, I'm in the five people we're looking at. You are the winner of the five people we've looked at. There's a thousand people we haven't looked at. It just happens you have you, you you're in the right queue at the right time. <laughs> That's why I, I sometimes find a bit cynical about some of these award ceremonies. It's who's nominated you. Who are, are you really the winner, or are you just the winner of the people in the room? Um, yes. But, that's what that, but I accept they're good. If they make people feel good, it allows people to shout about their business yes. and promote. I'm, I'm not all in favour, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not poo pooing them. I just, I, I get very cynical personally about them. <laughs> you know, in my case, I'm supporting someone else, and even if they don't get through, um, they know that I have given some of my time to write that application. Yeah, and uh, no, I'm, I say I'm I'm completely with with other people enjoying them and, yeah. and volunteering. Uh, and one thing strange happened to me this year was actually people started asking me 
to be a judge on award ceremony. So I thought, hmm, I've gone from being a candidate to now being a judge. Does that mean I've skipped over um, and gone to a, gone to a new a new level where people are now seeing me as an authority, whereas before they were seeing me as an aspiring. Now, <laughs> now I'm judging. It's like I, I just try to work out if that was an insult or or, or, or a, um, a congratulations. I, I suddenly thought, hang on a minute. I wanted to be a, I would have been nominated for that award, but now I'm judging it. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and two things on that: Are they expecting you to pay for the privilege? Because some, no, awards, yeah, no. some of the awards do, which I think is incredibly naughty, or to ask for sponsorship, or they see you in the veteran character uh, category now. Yeah, yes, <laughs> the seasoned professional. Yeah. Um, it was actually BBC Radio Solent that asked me to to be a judge on their Community Heroes Award. So Brilliant. I was reviewing the entries for their Community Heroes and for people who'd gone above and beyond in in some respect. And this was the nomination for pre-COVID. This was about people who had gone out their way to help neighbours, uh, raise funds or do something, just be a community hero. So I was a judge in that award. And I, I found that quite, quite inspiring because it, it's not strictly – a, a, an award I want to compete in, but so I found it a real honour yes. to be able to judge other people who really contributed to to their communities. So yeah, it was an honour to be to be chosen as a judge or a, a, um, someone who could contribute. Definitely. So yeah, yeah, no, I, I did enjoy that. Yeah, and I was also invited to do a, another another award, which got cancelled due to COVID. But I, I also am a, am a guest judge on something called the Noras, which is a, a, a national. A recruitment awards is about uh, websites and, and recruitment systems. So I've been a judge on that for a couple of years. So, that, uh, yeah, so yeah, it's it's nice to be on the judging panel, um, especially when I haven't, I don't actually fit into the categories myself. So it's yes. nice to be a judge. Yeah, so, yeah. and nice to be asked. Yeah, oh, it's extremely validating, yes. and empowering, and and motivating to be asked. And it's a, it's a little gift with a huge impact. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, go, go on then. Sorry, you were going to say. No, I think we should go back to um, the idea of visibility because we've we talked about yeah. the visibility through awards, um, and certainly with a number of my clients. I'm brought in to work with people who are incredible people. They're producing fantastic work, but they've had feedback, oh, you've got to make more impact in meetings, or the client thinks you're very quiet. And inevitably, these people are more reflective they're taking a little bit more time to really consider what they're going to say before they share information. Um, and I, I have no problem with that. I totally understand them. You know, as a child, I would be called boring, probably because I was told never to talk. <laughs> I don't know if you had that. And, and certainly in one or two cases, their bosses have said, no, they're really boring. And and it's not the case at all because you listen to them and find out who they are. And they're amazing people. But the the culture in, in corporates quite often does value those people that are speaking up more rather than speaking up with really good quality content. Yeah, and – I think back at my career in companies and corporates when I was running teams or managing departments. And yeah, you're right. You you tend to gravitate towards the people who are like you, communicate with you, talk to you, share ideas, don't come with problems. They're, they're coming. They're very positive impact. And the people who are quiet. It's very easy for them to be left behind or yes. ignored or or not heard. And, and I, I've I've my my style generally, if I'm a if I'm the new girl in in a room in a, in a meeting, is to spend the first period listening. That may even be the entire meeting. I've even had someone at the end saying, "We do like our trustees to speak out and give their opinions." Okay, yes, okay. When I when I have something to say, you'll hear it. Don't worry. Yes. And so sometimes I'm, I'm looking at the personalities in the room, going, 
okay, I'm working out you, working out you, working out where I feel I, I fit myself, um, working out my level of relative expertise. If before I, before I start talking about the accounts or the PL or the sales figures, I want to know what everybody else's kind of views are because what I don't want to do is, is jump in and be an idiot or obviously mm-hmm. foolish. And I want to judge the, the level of directness people have. Yes. So I need to, I need to understand my style could be this and that might be a bit of a shock for people or I might go in too soft when actually they want directness. So again, I, I, I see that as, as, as evaluating the land first and then I'll, I'll go, right, now I've got this and I'll, I'll go for something and I'll join in. And people are almost like, you can see people go, oh, Joe's got a voice. Well, actually, and when she talks, it's worth listening to. Yes. Brilliant. Do you think, so think that, yeah. do, do you think that the chairperson could um, have more of a mini- more of an impact on that. I mean, obviously, with trustee meetings, you get an agenda beforehand. Um, hopefully, there are some clear outcomes that you want to achieve by the end of the meeting. Not always, but that's what we hope. And for a chairman to say, and, and Joanne, what do you think if that was the first time you were around that table? Oh, completely. And yeah, I, I think at the end, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've been a chair of trustees. For several charities, I've um, been an executive director of a couple of organisations. I've, I've been a director of my own business, hired, fired staff over the yeah. years. So I'm, I'm not shy. I've also um, I've also been the national president of, a, of an organisation throughout the which is UK wide. So I've chaired big AGMs with six hundred people in the room. I've, I've travelled the country. I've, I've I've chaired meetings all my life. So I, I, I'm I, I'm actually not shy, but I still have this slowly slowly approach to things and, and as, a, as a as a as a i don't know a chair i would always make sure i look around the room who's not included who's not yes. who's not speaking and say and actually deliberately say so helen um we were talking about this earlier you have some great ideas do you want to just tell me those again because i think you had some great ideas earlier but that that also requires the chair to do some homework and talk to the people between meetings, engage with them before the meeting starts and say anything you want to think about, anything in the agenda that you want to pick up. And then you know how to include people if they're not saying anything. Uh, Because the worst thing you get in meetings is people just saying, effectively, I agree with them. And you end up with, they keep repeating what someone else has said. It's like, well, if everyone's agreeing with them, can we just, can we just have new, new comments or people who disagree or people who've got another idea, but, if you haven't got anything to say that's different, then we just go, okay, so we're all happy with that, are we? Uh, yeah, and there's nothing worse than a, a room full of people telling you I agree with the first person. Well, okay. It, that is a really, really interesting point. Uh, and, and only a couple of weeks ago, I posted something on LinkedIn that provoked a lot of of um, interest. And that was that I said, if you are at the table at a meeting, it's your duty to share your opinion. And your opinion might not land well with everybody else, but at least it will start a discussion and help in the in the process, the decision making. And it's not about a fight, but it's about having your voice and your opinion and your perspective on a particular item. And it was very, very interesting because one person contacted me um, from the US and she said, The thing is, when everybody says yes and agrees, it's a very, very expensive decision-making process because all of those people could be doing something else in the business. Yes, you actually want to have views that that not necessarily argue or disagree strongly, but have a a, a modification or a reflection that maybe – is, is not being thought about. So I agree with so-and-so, but one of the things I was thinking of, could we do this as well or instead, or just adjust the wording slightly? That's adding value and modifying the original motion, if you like, rather yeah. than just saying, yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, if you're not careful, why be there? Yeah, but also another another American <laughs> contacted me who always comments on my things, which is fantastic. Love it. And he said one of the prob he one of the problems he encountered as a leader was that quite often people would just say yes from a political point of view. They wanted to see be seen as agreeing with the leader for strategic purposes. 
Um, yeah, is, is this the trouble in meetings where often the first thing that happens is that the person in power, the leader, the person who's, who's running the meeting will often say, this is what I want to talk about and this is what I think. Yes. Uh, so they, they, they say basically, I, I've told you what I think and I want you to agree with me or 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 be at conflict with me. And yeah. people often, you no, say people, we talked about people at the beginning who are introvert. Yes. They're not willing to be at conflict, are they? No, of course not. And if there is a power struggle anyway, they don't want to rock the boat. And I can I can get that. It's sort of setting a a framework where individual opinion is not valued because the leader's already set set the agenda and and what the outcome is. Mm. Yeah, I, I think as a as a chance, I mean, when I when I talk about inclusion from a business perspective it, it one of the things is about communication and listening and the leaders need to start by listening not by not by telling or or, or manipulating the outcome by, yeah. by giving opinion and the, uh, one of my bugbears i have a number as you can probably realize is when people run um speak like a leader challenges and actually it should never be speak like a leader it should be communicate like a leader and you hit the nail on the head about listening yeah we, we don't listen we, we 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 talk to sell our opinion we we talk to prove ourselves right we talk to prove ourselves that we've got more value than somebody or we've got a, a, a yeah, we're, we're intelligent or worth something rather than saying actually i, I want to talk so i can find out i want actually i'm I'm only, I'm only talking to clarify i'm talking to find out information um, I'm questioning because I, I may not be right. And there's a there's a state there's a, there's a quote I often use in some of the training I run, which is uh, strong opinions weakly held. So it's great to have an opinion. It's great to know what you stand for. It's great to know that you have have some value. But you, you also you you hold those opinions so lightly that you you want to prove yourself wrong. You want to find out whether your theory, your your testing yourself, your perspective is valid. And how often do we go in there and say, I'm right? Actually, how about I could be wrong? Tell me what you think. I'm really interested to understand why you think differently to me. Then I can modify my sense of right and wrong or perspective and go, actually, Susan's got a point there. I hadn't thought of that before. But I don't hear that if I'm just saying I'm right, do I? I agree with you. And that what a, a what an enlightening perspective on on sharing opinions. Um, we, we are in a world, I feel, that's very polarised. We've seen in the United States how, you know, with the election, two very differing sides. And even here in the United Kingdom, particularly with, dare I say, the B word, Brexit, there are still people that are, you know, you mention something and, a, and, and you're almost working – walking on um, eggshells, thinking, oh, my goodness, I better not say that, better not have an opinion because the other this person's going to just fire away. I, I, I remember two years ago, somebody that I've known for 17, 18 years, I saw her in the library, as one does. And she was, you know, um, concerned about Brexit and everything. And I said, well, you, you know, everybody has an opinion. Everyone has the right to voice their opinion in a vote. And she got terribly upset with me just for saying that. And it ended up with sort of the finger in my face because she was so angry. And I, I thought that was a real shame that we couldn't just have a conversation about opinions and values and the rights it 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 shocked me and it and it saddened me i mean let's talk about something contemporary i mean i'd like to think the brexit remain argument has been done we've left it's done whatever yes i've i've lost any energy the way I see the world is now we've, we've just got to park it and say, whether you loved it or hated it, whether you still love it or still hate it, got it's on. happening. It's happened. Let's make the best of it. So to me, that that's kind of like a, there's no point in breaking that up. No, no I agree with you. 
Where we are now, I think, is in the, if you look at where we are today in 2020, 2020 December and going into 2021, is the, the new debate around vaccine oh. to have the vaccine or not have the vaccine. We, again, we've got another set of populist perspectives around not being vaccinated and around being vaccinated. And that's going to be another major divisive issue in the country yes. where we're not going to be able to come to any consensus because the people who, who advocate for vaccines are going to be very polarized around what well, is, is anybody who doesn't want to be vaccinated must be stupid. And anybody who is not wanting to be vaccinated say, well, you're misinformed about the dangers. And everyone's got experts. Everyone's got okay. scientists. Everyone's got a professor. Everyone's got Medium and Google and all these other information sources. And it's really hard. To have a have a conversation where people are actually asking questions to say, okay, so I understand that you're worried about the effects of a vaccine and you are concerned about having it for the impact of your health in the future. So where did you get that information from? Where can I read about your concerns? Yes. Um, who, sa who said that? Um, whereas all I want to say is, no, no I, I, I got, I, I'm happy to be vaccinated, therefore you must be crazy if you don't want to be and and that doesn't work for anybody does it we have these polarized yes opinions and there's no room for the centrist discussion sometimes yeah and yeah it's the it's that central discussion that could change the mind of those people that are polarized on either side um, yes, I, I mean I'm, I'm trying to boil people down into into three broad camps. There's those who are going to be vaccinated. Yeah, I'm going to be vaccinated. We're going to be vaccinated. We're all for it. Anybody who doesn't must be crazy. So there's the there's the front runners here. Give me the vaccine. Let's do it. Then there's the people in the middle going, who are more like the, the, the herd, the sheep. Yeah, I'll say. Well, once once everybody else has dropped dead, and it becomes kind of the thing to do. I'll be in there second. I'm waiting for, I'll be second. I don't want to be leading edge. Then you've got the people who are the other side who maybe can't have the vaccine for health reasons, autoimmune, allergic to egg, whatever, whatever reason from a health perspective they can't. Or they have a belief that the vaccine, um, will cause them harm, which, so there's that group of people. So there's now talk about modifying the, the app. To be able to flag with you being vaccinated or not vaccinated, so I'm going to end up with this this class divide of mm. unless you can prove you've been vaccinated, you can't come into my shop, you can't come into the workplace, you can't travel on the bus. Uh, yeah, it's your right not to be vaccinated, but it's not your right to bring your unvaccinated body into into this organisation. And then, how do we work, how do how do we rationalise that from an inclusion, belonging, and people perspective? That's if we're not careful, that's where the country's heading, isn't it? A very, very difficult situation, and certainly um, with vaccines for children, and that has been bubbling away since my son was a baby. The MMR um, stuff started when he was a baby. Um, but I know that in France, they actually don't allow children to start school unless they've had a series of vaccinations. And yet over here, that was deemed to be improper. And I, I would actually agree with that. I would be very uncomfortable if little kids who had no say in that were excluded from school. Yeah, it's it's a very fine line. I mean, I'm in my mid fifties, so I I was a pincushion at school, like most people. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was probably before. I'm not sure if it was MMR at the time, or whether I had the separate measles, rubella, and, and mumps as a separate. But I was doing polio. I've got BCG. I've yeah. got. Yeah. I was doing this. I, I, I was. I spent a brief time after leaving school in the, in the armed forces in the RAF. I had yellow fever, diphtheria. Oh, yes, I had. Uh, all yeah, I, I, I went there for, for the full pincushion pin over the first three years in the RAF, and I've I've travelled to Hong Kong on business and, and other places on business. And one of the prerequisites is you should have um, hepatitis B jabs yeah. or yellow fever jabs or top ups. And I didn't think anything of it. I just went, okay, it says on, it says on the guidelines, I must go and get this jab before I go, Poof, check myself in, go and have it done. And so people were probably having these yellow fever, people who are anti-vaxxing are probably doing this to go on holiday now. Yes. Like cholera or, you know, would you go, would you go, would you go in a cholera zone without a cholera jab? Would you go into a smallpox zone without a smallpox jab? No, you wouldn't, but you're happy to walk around the country in, a, in what you think is safe. 
because we're 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 first world. Yeah, it's clean here. It's it's bizarre. And I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to gossip now. Um, one of one of my NCT the group. Um, she's anti-vax and she has um, four children and has never vaccinated any of them. The first one, when he went to university, the first day he found the medical centre and said, give me everything. Hit me. <laughs> Hit me here. I want every vaccination going. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we started this talk right at the beginning about <laughs> giving people a voice. And I, I think – we should allow people who, who have alternate views yes. to not feel shouted down, to, to express their concerns, to say this worries me, this scares yes. me, and be willing to engage as a society to provide education and awareness that can be heard. Because often we end up, as I said, we end up with these two polarized camps. I agree and with people you. People who want to find out more feel. They can't step out of their, their, their echo chamber, their circle of friends. You know, they, everybody thinks like them. They all talk about this. And therefore, to, to, to be curious in the, what if I change my mind camp? Am I going to lose all my friends? Because everyone is so polarized. Oh, yes. I People agree. Fall out with about you. This. Yes. And um, I mean, certainly from my perspective, if, if I were to talk to that woman about, anti um you, you know vaccinations she's very polarized and has a very strong opinion and i've always respected her for it even though i don't agree with her um on on that but what i found is is that she got quite aggressive about that and was was actually really frightening other mothers into um, not having vaccinations um, without providing some proof around it. So they, they've got this unshakable belief of being right or, or, yes. or almost... Because Dr. Or, Google, Google... Yeah, or, or, or adopting this role of, of protector yes. of society and therefore they know best, therefore I must... Yeah, but you could apply the same to the to the lay person being provax, couldn't yeah, you? You could oh, say, well, absolutely. they're trying to do exactly the same. So it's not we're not we're not saying one person is more right or, or less right. No. We're just saying that that's what happens, isn't it? We we get the two camps, the pro oh, and definitely. the against. And personally, I'm more inclined to listen to medical opinion on it. Perhaps not. Um, if if I'm being honest, perhaps not um, the facts, uh, the the pharmaceuticals, because of course they've got a vested interest in it. But if you talk to medical professionals, and you, you know, I've I've got a few friends who are working in the NHS, and they're saying this is a horrible disease. It's horrific. Please get vaccinated, <laughs> and to hear it from them is very interesting. But do you not think with the rise of popularism and the internet that the unquestionable authority of a medical professional is now not being believed, is it? Because oh, absolutely, because the, because Dr. Google says this. Yeah, and, you, and there's, always, there's, always, there's always a doctor or professor that you can find that speaks against it. And suddenly, well, my research, I saw this article from a doctor and they said, blah, blah, blah. And you, you don't know who this doctor is. Yes. You don't know where their credentials are. <coughs> I, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I remember a couple of years ago going down a sort of Google rabbit hole because somebody said to me that um, your vocal folds could be paralyzed by beetroot juice. Now, I it was something I'd never heard. And, you know, I was a professional singer it's the sort of thing that I would have heard if it had been truthful. But I I decided to do some research about it. And after a couple of hours, I found the source. And it was somebody that was in an into alternative medicine that was promoting juices to fight cancer. And one of the things which, you know, um, and one of the things that he said was and one of the, the downsides is that if you 
take um, beetroot juice that your vocal folds will be paralyzed. You won't be able to talk. But there was no evidence around that. But this was being quoted verbatim. So there's, there's an example. Yeah, the there's lots of it out there. And, yeah. And, I mean, I, I look at maybe my own characteristic around, around being trans. There's lots of experts who are passionate in both sides. Uh, there's traditionalists. There's, there's all this. And, yeah, and... We, ha- we we dig out experts, and I think I think there's, there's a danger that in in order to be unbiased and creating debate and, and letting all people speak, that what we can often do is amplify voices that are minority voices and suddenly give them credibility and credence, can't we? Particularly if they're the loudest person in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. We get yes. back to. Yeah, and that's what we t- we started talking yeah. about. It's about the extrovert, the loud, energetic, and and what the, I mean, let's go back to the work you're doing with organisations about being this superstar communicator and and how you how how do you work with people to to give them a voice and give them presence? So let's talk a bit bit more about that. Well, one of the things that I um, have done is create my own communications model, spoken communications model. Um, and I identified five key areas that I believe are essential to be able to speak more effectively and with more impact. And the five areas are um, audience. So, you know, the purpose of you speaking, understanding your audience. And I'm summarizing very briefly the content. And there are ways that you can construct your content so it's more impactful rather than somebody waffling on and everybody just gets lost in the meeting. You, you're going, yes, I get you on that one. Um, preparation of which, including uh, reading the agenda, but also managing your fear with that. And I do a lot of work on managing fear. The performance side, so it's slightly different when it's virtual, but in face-to-face, obviously, um, there's more of a non-verbal communication impact taking place. But even on virtual, facial expressions a little bit with your gestures and certainly your body language make an impact. And then finally, the voice. And I don't mean about singing. I mean about I believe that you should speak so it's as easy as possible for other people to listen to you. So it's not hard work if you mumble or you've got you have um, you you speak too fast. People are going to switch off because it, they're having to work very hard to listen to you. So thinking, uh, but making it more impactful by actually having a bit of interest in your voice or a bit of passion, because sometimes people are monotone, and again, the other people in the room will just switch off. Because we're humans. Yeah, that that really resonates because I when I talk about communicating, and I often say it's it's incumbent on each of us to understand how the other person wants to consume what you're saying. So you can't always say to the other person, "You must change how you hear." I must sometimes change how I speak to be understood. Yes. If if you don't hear what I'm saying, if I'm not if I'm not landing what I'm saying correctly, I need to back off and go. Okay, how can I deliver this differently? either different phraseology, different speech, repeat, clarify, whatever that may be, rather than say, oh, it's your fault for not hearing me. Exactly. Actually, maybe it's my fault for not speaking correctly. Yes. But also, if, if you understand who your audience are, and, you know, if you think of a typical interdepartmental meeting, you might have IT, HR, you might have the lawyers there, the accountants. You've got – you marketing, you might have a whole range of different people who might have different terminology. They might speak a slightly different sub-language. I don't think that's a word. But what we need to do in order for it to really make an impact is to modify the language we use and examples so that it will be very easy for them to digest. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I recognize that there's some people who want me to get to the point. So I'll, I'll start with the answer and then explain it. Yeah. Other people want the explanation first and then the answer. Um, and when you're writing sales proposals is and, and you're trying to sell something, it's important to know which sort of person you're talking yes. to. Yes. Um, and 
other people just want a story first. They want you to wow them. Yeah. And then you soft set them enough and they'll, they'll buy anything. Other yeah. people are just going to cut to the chase. What are you selling? Okay. Do I want it? Yes or no? Yes, I want it. Right. Now, you're, now I'll listen to you. So yeah, it's, it really is a, a understanding the audience. And uh, when I talk about DNI, I often say that we, we need to bring everybody on this journey together and recognize that there has to be a business case because that's what the financial people want. Yes. There has to be a, a human factor because that's what the, the HR or these people want. There has to be a strategy element because that's what the board of directors wants. So we need to understand that this multi-headed beast needs to be sort of packaged up and communicated in different ways. Yes. And I think what you're saying there is is, is the way I, I talk about DNI about including people in conversations and understand each person communicates differently. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you know, there is an and there is nothing wrong with having your own style of speaking, but being aware that modifying it just slightly sidestepping or changing the vocabulary that you use slightly so that you include people is very very powerful. I think the other thing, when we think about power and privilege, uh, one, one of the things I say is, is is having power and privilege disinhibits you. So you're less sensitive to the needs of others. Yeah. You're more likely to be sensitive to your own needs. So often people we find in power and privilege, the leaders speak in the way they want to speak without considering the others. Whereas if you're uh, a subordinate, you would tend to have to adapt your talking to yes. upwards. Yeah, And I think the power of a great leader is they adapt their speaking downwards and they communicate so they can be understood by everybody rather than just by their peers. And that's the challenge, isn't it? Absolutely. It's almost like having to take your, your crown off and um, put, you know, flat cap on for want of a better analogy so that you can be one of the people rather than the, the absolute star. Yeah, I mean, one of the, someone once said that if you you got to have the, the the daily newspapers have are designed for a reading age of nine or ten or something because they're really trying to they're, they're putting they're using simple language they're not using they're not using obscure words or long words or big hard sentences because they recognise their average audience wants to consume it quickly they yes. want to get straight to the point and sometimes you have to put it in that nine or ten year old language so that it's very easy for everybody absolutely. And, and, and when I speak and I train, I'm always thinking about don't overcomplicate it. Yeah. Start basic, build up. If people want, if people want more depth, they'll ask. Absolutely. But otherwise, they'll go away. Okay, okay, I get that. I get that. Thanks. And though they will switch off if it's too complicated, or if the, if the you know terminology used, or even if it's something. Um, you know, loads of data or or compliance, people will naturally switch off and then they'll fill in the gaps with what they think it should be there. So oh, the classic classic example, isn't it? The um the Downing Street COVID daily updates. Oh. The, the the death by PowerPoint. That's We've got all these experts, hard. all these people talking about stuff. You know, Boris comes on and speaks for twenty minutes and doesn't get to the point. Oh. What you want to say? To me, Boris would come on and say, look, deaths up, hospital up, missions up, infections up. Right, we've got a problem here. This is how we're going to solve it. But he beats around the bush for 20 minutes, and then then he doesn't land that very well. He's got all these graphs, and all these these government scientists are talking through these graphs going, get to the point, get to the point. I can't read the writing. You're going, next slide, please, next slide, please. I'm going to go, right. So what you're saying is, Deaths are up, hospital admissions are up, virus infections are up. We've got to do something now, and this is how we're going to do it. All I, I just need that on a graph. I just that's all I need to know. Yeah. How am I going? How are we going to do this? Okay, I get it. But all this waffle is is, I think it's creating confusion because people don't understand what the message no. is. And they've got he, no idea. He he's just um, yeah. A disaster when it comes to public speaking, in my opinion. In my opinion, he is somebody, he's a typical journalist who has got a dictaphone and is giving his latest copy. And then an editor will edit out all of the mumblings to make something impactful for the newspaper. 
Yeah, I think the style works well when you're trying to rally the troops. You know, you're trying to get people to to follow you and march and do something, and you're trying to inspire people. And it, I mean, some of his metaphors are allow they're really, really strange and very born out of maybe his his public school background. But That's right. When you're a leader, you need to be able to, you need to be able to steal concise information yes. and deliver it so that, so that the people can understand it. And he, he's not great at that. He's no, used he's to, not. He's used to debating societies. He's used to, as you say, talking in the press, not not selling <laughs> bad news. And he and, and, and tough and tough choices. Yeah. He's desperate to be liked as well. So it's it's hard for him to share bad news. It's almost as though he's waffling to make it a little bit more palatable. But it's no use. And the government advisors, they've got all of their spreadsheets and all of their graphs that all their team have been producing, to, you know, their internal documents. And these internal documents are just too much information, TMI. <laughs> they need to be distilled down into this this one or two points. Yes. Going, right, that's, this is where we are today. This is where we need to be. This is how we're going to get there. Got you. Yeah. This is what this is what we're going to do because our project predictions are that if we don't, then we won't be able to have Christmas. And this is why people don't necessarily believe the message. It's because they're not being communicated in a way where they trust the messenger, yeah. and that's the problem, isn't it? Definitely. And this comes back to the point where we're starting here about being a superstar communicator and speaking so you can be understood. Yes. And recognizing when you're you're not being understood, how to adapt your style, isn't it? Definitely. And in the case of those scientists who are obviously incredibly intelligent, they've got some incredible information to impart. How can you make that easier? Well, not having those bloody spreadsheets and slides that you need a PhD in um, PowerPoint explanations to be able to understand breaking it down and why their comms department hasn't done that is extraordinary. You and me need to go in there and sort them out. <laughs> I've got a friend who's a, uh, a guy who uh, trains people on, on producing PowerPoint slides and oh, uh, up your presentation. David, yeah. And uh, I, I love the way he, I, I, the Facebook group, I think we're both a member of, he, uh, he posted his take on how the government slide should be. And I thought that was absolutely incredible that uh, in one slide, he basically summed up the entire government position of what we should be doing. Yes. In a very easy to understand, I get it. Here's, here's, here's where we are. Here's where we're going. This is where we need to be. Got you. Yeah. Right? I get it. I'm buying it. I'm having some of that. And it's, yeah, I, I think it all comes back to you know, what we're talking about, how, how to communicate better and we, it's not just about a vocal language. It's also about written presentation, the visual side. Yes. The whole package of how we present data and information, isn't it? You know, once or twice people have given me feedback. Um, oh, you you speak very in a very straightforward way. You, you make everything into small, easy blocks. And at first, you know, my ego thought, oh, my goodness, they don't think I'm bright. But actually, when I, yeah, they think I'm simple. Um, I, I went back to them and said, oh, do elaborate more. And they said, no, you make it very easy. We can just take it in. And do you think that it, we can get frightened by coming across in a very straightforward way? that we feel that we need to embellish things to show that we are an expert? Um, I, some people may. I mean, my natural style is to use lots of similes, metaphors, and storytelling. So I, I yes. would always build a story into the message I'm trying to create. Yes. Uh, through some sort of lived experience or something that resonates. Like, I told you about the Strong Opinions Weekly Held and told you about that story around that. Rather than just put that slide up and say, there you are. I, I want to give you the feeling, the impact, the understanding. So take it from your head into your heart type yes. thing. Bring the emotional connection so that way you, you remember the feeling of that. And wow, that Joe said that when she explained that, that really made sense to me. Yes. So, so sometimes packaging it in a story, because we're, we're storytellers as a species. We storytell, we pass 
before we had TV, video, and YouTube, we used to sit around the fire and tell each other stories to pass down the legacy and the history to each other and folk through song, storytelling. Folk songs and folk dances, traditional ones, also have a narrative. Yes, certainly within content, I do a lot on storytelling and different lengths of them. Um, because, literally because of the idea that you can it, – it is those feelings and those series of feelings, we all remember how we feel when we hear it. And that's what we need to – so in the case of the, the COVID daily things, if they were to add some little stories, some little anecdotes – uh, as opposed to those, you know, PhD level uh, diagrams, then people would remember that. We know that. We know, we yeah, know that. Completely, completely, completely. I, I completely agree with that. So I'm dying to ask you before we wrap up <laughs> ab- about your your prize-giving opera singer history. Oh. Yeah, t- tell us a bit more about being an opera singer. I mean, I've know, got to ask. It, 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 it was madness, really. I look back on the whole thing, because what you won't know is that I, and this is completely separate, but I was involved in a very serious car accident with life-changing injuries, spinal injury, head injury, things like that, that took a long time to get over. I'm very lucky to be able to walk and be here, actually to be alive. So I'm incredibly lucky. But I was invited to um, by a friend. Why don't you come along to one of these big choirs um, to sing? So, um, and I, as I've said before, I was one of those quiet people at the back, told never to show off, even though I'd been told I'd got this lovely voice. No, be at the back. So I turned up for this audition. I had to audition for it, and it happened that there was a now famous conductor who was on the panel, and he said to me, Susan, you've got a remarkable voice. I really think that you should get it trained. Now, um, at the time, physically and mentally, I wasn't in such a good place, understandably, but I did start having singing lessons. I didn't contact him, which now I would probably have done for advice, but then it became apparent that, that I should go to music college And even though I was slightly older, I got the scholarship and I was a jobbing singer. So I was hugely lucky with some of the things that I did. So I did roles like Pamina and Michaela and Tatiana and um, Majenka, the bartered bride and things like that. And it was a real privilege um, I sang in throughout UK as a soloist on the radio and TV, um, places like Durham Cathedral, which I went to university in Durham. So to go back there was amazing. My old tutor was there and she said, Susan, you were very quiet at university. I can't believe it. And, and um, over in France and Italy, I got a scholarship to study in Italy as well and Spain and the United States and I did concert work as well. I was so lucky. And then, wow. yes. And, you, you know, I went from that quiet kid to someone singing in front of 3,000 people as a soloist with an orchestra, a conductor probably going, oh, my God, everything's going wrong, and you have to be the leader <laughs> to get everybody, to get the music carrying yeah, on. Because opera is all around this presence on stage yeah. and the power of the voice. You can't be looking at somebody else. You've got all this facial you, you, expression and, yeah. and concentration. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But the same for concert work. I mean, you know, it's not as extreme, but, you, you know, you somebody ha- sometimes have to take over as a leader in a non-verbal way you, um, to, to reassure everybody else when there are mistakes going on. Whether that's colleagues, uh, you know, a colleague might have come in a little bit late or there was a, a mistake. And, and what I was taught, and I think it's a really good message, is you are responsible for everything yourself. You can't go around blaming someone else if the, the oboe comes in late or the tenor makes a mistake. And, you know, if you're in a hole, you've got to get out of it. 
It, it, oh, that's a great lesson in life. Personal accountability. Oh, absolutely. Accept responsibility. If you're late, it's nobody's fault but your own. You could yeah. have left earlier. Yeah. If you miss something, it's my fault. I could have done something instead. If I knew the risk of being late, I could have caught an earlier train. I could have come the night before. I could have done a whole lot of things in my control. Yes. Yeah. So, so don't blame it on this nebulous, it wasn't my fault. Yes. Well, actually, you could have planned. You could have planned to, to drive early. In case you got a puncture, yeah, you could have you could have planned it to if there was a traffic jam, if there was something cancelled, you could have you could have had some contingency. You have the power to do that. Absolutely. Therefore, you can't blame on somebody else, can you? So, no, I, I get accountability. Personal accountability yes. is, is very important. And and you you know that it, it was a fellow a PSA person because we're both in the PSA who actually said to me, you know what what you had your leadership experience there, and obviously I've I've. I've been the leader of my music company as well. Um, it's quite unique, and yet it is so valid within the corporate world too because you're yeah, very, no, very I, visible. I, I'm always, just thinking as you were talking about being a singer, uh, the way you were trained and the, and, the, and the performances you did, you you found your voice. I mean, you have no. a, you had your voice and you found it and you shared it. Yeah. So you're used to you're used to having a voice and being in front of people now. Yeah, absolutely. And I had to push myself, really push myself to be comfortable center stage, and to accept that it was okay to get that acclaim. So very. You, we, we, could, we could carry on talking for another hour because I, I had to find my own voice about four years yeah. ago. Um, and I went from a life where I was quite happy standing up in front of people and talking and speaking after dinner, speaking and doing other things to a world where I, I'd lost confidence in my own identity and whether I had a voice that would be listened to. And so I went through a whole reinvention of myself four or five years ago. And so to hear that you kind of emerged out of this opera singing with a voice, I, I, I remember standing up at a PSA meeting and doing the speaker factor one year. And that was the first time I'd, I'd ever stood up in front of a group of professionals in a dress and spoke. And I, okay, I crashed and burned. I wasn't that great, but I, I suddenly realized what, what bad felt like. And I thought, I'm never going to feel bad or, or like that ever again. And that was, it was a great learning exercise. But yeah, and no, I, I get it completely about the anxiety of, of putting yourself out there when you, well, everything inside you saying, I'm, "I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to, you know, people aren't going to like me. Or I want to, I want to hide." Yes, I. You know, one thing that I've learned. I don't know if you've done the um, professional, um, the uh, what, what, neuroscience course. I think you might. Have oh, with Dr. Linda Shaw. Yeah, no, well, I, I haven't done that. No, right. She's been, she's been on the podcast. Actually, she was in episode one. Oh, so fantastic! To well, I yeah. did it, and it actually. There were so many aha moments because uh, a lot of what I what I do, because I do um, address managing a fear. And with with the journey that I had, I'm sure you can appreciate that I've got quite a few little tips and tricks up the way. Um, but doing the course made me realize that scientifically I was doing the right thing. So I could back it up with scientific evidence, which is part of my values that I like to be able to demonstrate those things but um one of the things that i find very useful for anxiety and thinking oh everyone's gonna hate me you know they're not gonna love me uh, you know that little voice that's going in there that's your ego basically and if you can start you know this but if you can start saying and i'm going to be very theatrical and dr dramatic diva like i'm serving my audience I'm here to share some fantastic information. And all of a sudden, that little voice goes, oh, oh, my ego is not being um, fed now. Um, and it, 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 when you're focusing on the audience and um, serving them, for want of a better word, it can take a lot of pressure off you. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I, I see myself as a, a performer in a way, I'm there to entertain. Yes. And through, enter through entertainment, I will e educate, enlighten, empower, or whatever word you want to use. Yes. But I'm there to communicate through my own passion. And that's – so as much as someone's an actor on the stage, a, a singer, a rock star, whatever they may be, 
my 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 delivery is is the way I speak and the way I inspire. And yes. yeah, it's it's a performance. Absolutely. And we mustn't forget that. Um I I whether it is that you are delivering a two minute presentation within a meeting or a seminar, excuse me, um that is a performance. Even when somebody contributes to a meeting, it's a performance. You are you're effectively trying to sell you and your opinion and your beliefs so that other people will take notice or listen or react or, or instigate something as a result of it. Absolutely. Otherwise, why communicate in the first place? Yeah, and that goes back to purpose. Right, well, we've come to the end oh. and we, we, could, we could literally be talking for another hour. I, I'm just... I, in danger of starting another part of the conversation off. So maybe it's an opportunity <laughs> for me to come again. on. We could carry oh, on. So, or, or, <laughs> or maybe I come onto your podcast. I mean, you, Why tell, don't tell, us about, tell, us about, tell us about your podcast because you've got your own podcast. Yes, and you must come on mine. My podcast is called Superstar Communicator, and I focus on spoken communication, um, different aspects of that. I often have people that come on um, that are – experts in their own field or they've been very successful in their roles and we talk about how spoken communication has aided them in their careers. Occasionally I have um, authors that come on. One recently was a chap called Fred Dust and he has written a book called and I may um, remember it, making conversation. And he had some great ways of humanizing conversations so that they weren't just one way, but it was a two-way process. So you could really connect with the person in a human way. And the most recent one that I've had is with a lovely lady called Elizabeth Hartley, who is deaf, talking about how we need to be aware of including people with invisible disabilities in the conversation, what we can do to make it easier for them to feel part of the conversation. So that's really what it is. Well, that sounds really interesting. Uh, so what's the best way for people to find your podcast? Is it on your website or iTunes? Or Well, it is on my website, but also it is on iTunes and Spotify and all of the usual places. And I'd love to have feedback from you if you've got any ideas of people that I could talk to other than Joanne, who is now coming on my podcast. <laughs> so Superstar Communicator com or .co.uk is um, your website? My, my website is superstarcommunicator.com and I'm always happy for people to connect with me on LinkedIn as well. So that's your LinkedIn is, um, well, sure. Uh, so Su Susan Heaton Wright, no hyphens, Heaton, H-E-A-T-O-N-W-R-I-G-H-T. That's yeah, right. So yeah. Heaton Wright. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm sure you'll, you'd welcome people connecting and saying hi yes. and, and looking you up. Um, well, thank you so much. There's been lots to take inspiration there. It's been a fascinating conversation. As I said, we could have carried on all, all day. Uh, uh, so a huge thank you. Um, oh, thank also, you. Also, thank you to the listeners. Thank you to the listeners. Yeah. Thank you for listening this far. Thank you for tuning in. So please do subscribe and to keep updated with future episodes of the Inclusion Bites podcast. That's B-I-T-E-S. Tell your friends, tell your colleagues, tell everybody. I have a number of exciting guests lined up that I'm sure you'll be equally inspired by over the next few weeks and months. If you'd like to be a guest, please let me know. And of course, I always welcome feedback, suggestions on how I can improve. Please email me at joe.lockwood at cjhappen.co.uk. So finally, my name is Joanne Lockwood, and it's been an absolute pleasure to host this podcast for you today. Catch you next time. Bye.